Y'all feel like dancing? It's really hard right now for us to feel where you're coming from because we can't see you, we can hear you. If you make a lot of noise, you make us party much harder. I don't know how the security is here. I don't want to cause a problem. But if you feel like dancing wherever you are, get on up and get down. That's right, you heard it there. Wait, no, that sounded stupid. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, this is just unnatural. I know it. <laughs> okay, here I got it. That's right, it's another exciting installment of Lightning Licks Radio. I am Dion, a member of Lightning Licks Vinyl Preservation Society, a collective of vinyl enthusiasts whose mission is to celebrate and examine our often unhealthy, always obsessive, more often than not creepily intimate relationship that we share with the physical media that is vinyl records. And this is really, really strange. But on the other end of the line, on an actual telephone, I have my partner in crime, my sonic sensei, Jay. And, th- and that voice that you hear right now, that is me. I am Jay. And all the above things that you said, I'm down with all of those things. Obviously, we are in a uh, you know a different time, and I don't want to get too far into it, because every everything I listen to, it's like, how are we going to cope with all this stuff being all weird? Well, it's not really the point, because what still binds us together is music, right? And I kind of wanted to find a way to get back into the normalcy of our lives with just trying to attempt to do this podcast remotely it might not sound the way it usually does and it's going to be really really weird but jay i miss having you next to me much like this song i want to get next to you yeah man and i guess if this is the best it's going to be for a while then fuck it i'll take it dude (laughs) (laughs) yeah and i I apologize in advance if i sound uh, retarded i'm sorry (laughs) mentally retarded i'm sorry i don't want to offend anybody originally this would be episode seven and we were going to have some of our friends from Lightning Licks Final Preservation Society, the girls, come down and do their own little thing, and I was real excited to get that different perspective. Yeah, some new voices for sure. But then, you know, the shit hit the fan, and literally, the world, and figuratively, literally, it did. And Where figuratively, did that happen? Oh, okay. <laughs> it would be too difficult to have. Like, I mean, I'm sure we could figure out a Zoom call or something. But the difficulties that I have with being okay with audio quality that's subpar anyway, I'd rather just deal with two voices that disgust me not that i hate our voices i think we've got great voices but if the quality's not there then i'm just the kind of guy that it's going to be like nails on a chalkboard to me yeah i'm going to do my best to treat it in post but i figured we just deal with you know the core members here this is the founding members of lightning licks and we're going to talk about (laughs) one of the ideas we had on the shelf which is soundtracks right our favorite soundtracks yeah we're gonna yep we're gonna do soundtracks yep all right we're gonna just talk about some of our favorite film soundtracks the only real rules that i think we're gonna have for our soundtracks soundtrack episode is we got to own it on vinyl right it's got to be a movie soundtrack on vinyl and that's it as always as always music and film has been there since the inception
version of film, right? Back in the day before there was even talkies, they used to have like orchestras playing along with these moving pictures. And I mean, so music has always been an important part. Music has always been there to uh, help set a mood, set a tone, right, sometimes set a feeling, set an emotion. What about uh, like just continuity sometimes and transitions are helped out with yeah. music? It's yeah. really one of the coolest. I mean, if I had to pick a, a dream job, believe it or not, basement a pro bono podcaster would not be one of them. But <laughs> I think that maybe, um, you know, working in music on film seems like a really cool job because you get to put together these cracking soundtracks, man. I actually have, from my years of going to Tribeca for the film festival, I actually have a couple friends of mine who are actually, they do do that. They're the ones that check, they do all the licensing for the songs. Like if like, somebody says, these are the songs I want, and they do all the homework to see whether they're available and stuff oh, like man. that, which is kind of cool. It's almost like a mystery, like Hardy Boys. I mean, they're having to, if it's something obscure, they've got to go ahead and they've got to somehow, fly. sometimes you can't contact them. Sometimes these people like are falling off the face of the earth and they got to do this kind of whole mystery thing to try to find either the artist or the publishing company or whatever to see if they can get permission to use the, uh, the music for yeah, the films. Yeah, like any job, I'm sure it has its downs and it's, you know, it gets monotonous or whatever. But the finished product is you got this soundtrack that's just killer. Yeah. I mean, there's songs that I can never take out of a movie since I've heard them in that movie. You know, there's so many bands and acts that I've discovered off of soundtracks that it just kind of blows my mind. And I came across this interview on a podcast recently and I've listened to so many podcasts. I don't even know exactly where it was from, but it was J.J. Abrams. And he said that the way that he got into filmmaking he was always into movies but this was the time before there was VHS cassettes available so if you didn't see it in the theater you were kind of fucked right? right but he could always go down to the library and he could pick up the soundtrack to these movies on vinyl and he could take them out and then he could experience the movies through the soundtracks themselves and I'm thinking like wow that's I didn't even think about that before VHS before DVDs before we could streaming obviously before we could own and see these movies at our leisure it was like a big deal to go to the theater right yeah absolutely and the only way you could take a piece of that movie your favorite movie home with you was through the soundtrack so this is important shit we're getting into yeah and it's cool and then back in the day too they'd have those soundtracks like if you had like the soundtrack for Lenny or the soundtrack for like Taxi Driver where they actually had like pieces and snippets of the dialogue in there too so it was kind of like a way to relive the movie all over again right right and I didn't know when about that game I mean I'm familiar with that with Tarantino and some other directors do that on their soundtracks nowadays and I always dug that as well so and then you know guys like you and I would mimic that when we made our mixtapes and we would put dialogue in them from movies into mixtapes as well so yep. it's like we're yep. constantly making soundtracks to our own movies right that's happening in our heads to the movie that is our lives or to the life that is our movie like uh, like Whatever. good walking songs you know what I'm saying like when you're walking you're like what's <laughs> yeah. that gonna be oh. <laughs> oh there was a song that I heard the other day and I went oh my god that's gonna be my soundtrack for the rest of my life and I can't remember what it Oh, I <laughs> Dang it. It's funny that you said that because I literally just heard a song and went, oh, it was one of the songs that we're going to talk about today. It was one of the, it was one of the songs from one of your picks oh, no that I went, oh, okay. I'm like, that's my walking song for the rest I of my life. I always thought like a, a killer bass line was good for a walking song, like another one bites the dust type of shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. So we're going to get into this and hey, we're going to try to do our best to help everybody and mostly ourselves, but also our dozens and dozens of listeners out in podcast America to feel a sense of normalcy because lightning licks radio is back on the air back we're gonna be talking about soundtracks and we're gonna you know we're just gonna prove that sonically together we can get through this thing we're gonna be just fine just fine just fine just fine
Jay, I know you're a film buff as well as a music buff. I want to know from you when those two worlds collide. What offspring of that collision, what movie soundtrack do you want to discuss? I have two that kind of go in tandem with each other. Okay. They, they kind of live like in parallel. Is that parallel universe? Is that the right phrase? I think phrase? so. Okay, so the first two that I want to use are two movies where they are based in or around the L.A. punk scene right. of the late 70s. And the two, when we first started talking about these, these two popped into my head instantly, and that would be the soundtrack for Repo Man uh-huh. and the soundtrack for The Decline of Western Civilization Part 1. Yeah, two great movies and a killer soundtrack, so I can't wait to discuss these. Yeah, so there's kind of like a two-for-one. We're going to kind of like hit to it for one time. but No problem. These were like, I mean, both of these, Repo Man and Decline of Western Civilization, these are kind of like touchstones. Like if, again, I always hate to go back to this. We didn't have the internet. Mm -hmm. We didn't have YouTube, all that stuff that we go and just listen to music now. So when somebody bought the Decline of Western Civilization soundtrack, and then they dubbed it for a front end to a cassette, and then that person dubbed it for somebody else, or the Repo Man soundtrack, that stuff got passed around. That was like gold for us. Right. Both of these, Repo Man and the Decline of Western Civilization, are complete building block touchstones of that L.A punk thing and they're super important i mean they're both punk rock 101 and any kid came up to me today some 15 year old kid said i want to get into old punk what should i listen to these are two of the soundtracks that i would make i would let them say you need to listen to these how did that hit you like when you heard these for the first time like you said it was hand-to-hand type stuff that you're getting from cassette tape from your friends were you taken aback at all by punk music or did you sort of hear it in some other stuff that you were exposed to so it well no and i don't and i already been into it i mean i, oh, okay. I as far as like the decline in repo man like there's bands that I were already is already familiar with oh, like, yeah. like Black Flag or the Circle Jerks I was already familiar with but both of those records have bands that I would have not heard any other way okay if it were if it wasn't for these soundtracks so there was a little bit of familiarity there but that still but that still that felt so exotic to me it was such a whole other world to me so if you're a kid from Bay City Michigan and you're hearing the germs for the first time, you're like, what the fuck is this? You know, and it, it's, it is, it's mind-melting a little bit. Were both of these, uh, did you hear the soundtracks before you were able to see the films? In the case of Decline of Western Civilization, I heard the soundtrack before I saw the movie, and Repo Man, I'd seen the movie, and then found the soundtrack after that. What was Repo Man like? You saw it in the theaters, I'm assuming, or what? Oh, no, no. I had, there was a guy, a friend of mine who used to work third shift at 7-Eleven where we used to hang out all the time. Like, like every night, we just hang out at 7-Eleven, third okay. shift. And a friend of mine, he was an older guy, and this was back in the day, he had HBO and he would record all the movies on HBO on VHS. Oh, that's so, great. once in a while, we just go over to his house and we would just watch movies. And Repo Man, actually, now that I think about it, I think he lent us Repo Man. I think I went over to my friend Bob's house and we watched that at his house on the VCR. So no, I never saw either one of these in the theaters, but I did like, I remember him passing the VHS tape to me, Repo Man, and us watching it. Oh man, that's so cool that it was like that was the start of, you know, I'm going to dub this movie for you after dubbing all these tapes for your friends, and now you got this whole other medium where you could do the same fucking thing. Yeah, and I, and, and I actually didn't see the, the decline of Western civilization for years after. I mean, I, I had the soundtrack for a long time before I actually saw the movie. Because again, you're in Bay City, Michigan. You're not going to be able to go to Curtis Mathis and no, pick up I don't the, think they stock that. Yeah, VHS tape. I don't even, to this day, I'm not even sure if I remember how I actually ended up seeing it. Well, Decline of Western Civilization, part one, there was a part two, right? That was the Metal Years or whatever. But uh, part one was basically like a documentary type deal, right? That yeah, was- it, was, it was done by Penelope Spheres. She did she did the decline of one decline two was the the metal years the right. L, it all taking place of the, the the los angeles metal scene but in this case the la punk scene 
because she did kind of do a third one after too but she actually went on and did some other real independent stuff she did like dudes yeah yeah she did that movie and then she also did a, a great movie called Suburbia oh yeah with Fleet was, was in all, that wasn't he yeah, yeah that wasn't a documentary but it was based on kind of these punk rock kid squatters that's like another soundtrack that I would recommend to somebody because that kind of had like I don't know if you want to argue about whether it's second wave or not, but it had like TSOL and the Vandals and DI. But then she actually went on to direct like Wayne's World oh, okay. and Black Sheep and Beverly Hillbillies and oh, all no that shit. stuff too. So, That's cool. Yeah. Um, if I was going to ask you, we're going to make a, a mixtape at the end of the episode um, that's going to put all of our favorite soundtrack tunes you know, together into their own little tape. If I had to ask you to take just one song from each one of these influential soundtrack albums, could you do that for me? Yeah, so for the Repo Man soundtrack, there is a song on there by the Circle Jerks called The Shit Hits the Fans, Yep. which is one of their, again, it's one of their songs, and again, I'm drawing a blank on which record it's from. I think it's maybe Golden Shower of Hits, I don't know. Right. But in the movie, they kind of play this lounge band. And so they're, they're doing like this really weird loungy version of that song. And that's the one that's on the soundtrack. It's like acoustic guitar and a cheesy like little like drum machine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keith Morris. Yeah. So I just, I don't know if a lot of people have heard that. So I want to use that for the my choice for the Repo Man soundtrack. And as far as the decline of Western civilization goes, I mean, I could have picked any song on there. Uh-huh. But I guess the song that just kicks my ass is there's a live version. Well, actually, it's all live of uh, We're Desperate by um, the band X. So it's pretty, it's some pretty rush. That's pretty awesome. And plus, it's like with both of these, you kind of have a an exclusive feel to the tracks that you picked because you got one that's not the normal version of a song. It's like the special version. And the other one, obviously, with the live recording. So that's going to be really cool to hear. All right. So we just went through a couple of mine. You bet. So Dion, yes, sir. give me one of the soundtracks that uh, I guess that made an imprint on your on your noggin. <laughs> a lot of these, uh, for me, especially if they're earlier on, obviously I didn't see them in the theater, and it was a long time before I saw them on cassette, but the music that was held within them really struck a chord with me. And I'm going to go to 1976, a movie called Car Wash, like a sort of a cult comedy, very heavy with cameos, kind of like day in the life of these characters all working at an L.A. car wash. You got to love the walk-ons too, George Carlin, yeah. Richard Pryor. I mean, that's a star-studded right. movie. And, and the Pointer is. Sisters were in that. And the, yeah. and the weird thing, it was rated PG, so it wasn't like what you'd think it would be with George Carlin and Richard Pryor. It just seems like that would be an R-rated film for sure, right? This is probably the only uh, motion picture that Richard Pryor has ever been in, besides maybe the Superman movies where he doesn't drop the end bomb you know what <laughs> right, I'm saying right and they both boast both of those it's pretty much just kind of cameo yeah, yeah. anyway as far as that goes yeah they're kind of campy characters in this like I said this episodic comedy it's like a cult comedy now but it was pretty well done but the music man it was like right in that period where um, Soul was changing over to disco all day long produced and primarily written by Norman Whitfield. Motown legend. He's a Motown legend, man. He's the writer and producer of hits like uh, Heard It Through the Grapevine was one of his, Just My Imagination, Smiling Faces Sometimes, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. Uh, he wrote War, dude. Yeah, and the, and also, too, I mean, he created his own genre. I mean, right. you, you didn't hear the word psychedelic soul. That's Norman Whitfield's thing. Papa was a Rolling Stone. He wrote that. That's one of my favorite jams of all time, man. That's awesome. Yeah. He leaves uh, Motown. Yeah. He's going to start his own thing, and this was one of his first projects. And I think it might have been Norman Whitfield Records. I don't It was, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep, it was. Yep. And he's got these uh, Rolls Royce, which was going to be his new group that he was going to write some tunes for, like his new Temptations. And a lot of it was just instrumental stuff that he wrote and arranged. But, I mean, all these tracks are just killer disco cuts. Uh, Rolls Royce. Um, and I, it's and talking about Rolls Royce, I also feel like 
since we're just talking about her, I just want to throw this out here. I feel like Gwen Dickey is probably a super underrated soul singer. Oh, definitely, definitely. Like, people don't talk about her. And also, just to, not to derail you, but it's funny that you were using Car Wash, because I don't actually own Car Wash. I feel like that's like a record I should own, but for some reason I don't. And I'm a huge Beastie Boys fan. Uh-huh. Like, I went down the YouTube rabbit hole as far as they, there's a, a video that you can see where they actually have all the samples that's used through Paul's Boutique. Yeah, yeah. And they there's like six or seven things that they stole from Car Wash that I never heard while I was listening to Paul's Boutique, uh-huh. but then when I hear, when I watch that video, I'm like, oh my God, that's so awesome. How did I not hear that the first time? That's actually how I got turned on to this record was doing some uh, old school pre-internet research with my buddy and we were obsessed with Beastie Boys. So that's where I came across Six O'Clock DJ, this intro song that's on the Car Wash soundtrack. And they sample that yeah. bass line. And that's how I came to this car wash in general is from the Beastie Boys. That's cool that that's kind of, you, you did it the backwards way. Like later on, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I feel like a big dumbass. Like, how did I not hear all that stuff? But I guess I, it just made me realize how just how unfamiliar I am with that record. I know that I need it. I, I, I understand how essential that it is, but somehow I, it just has escaped me somehow. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a burning disco record, man. And like anybody who, who who's into like reading, um, you know, the credit, on, on the back of albums and, tr- and figuring out who produced things and, and figuring out who played on these things and then you see a name like Norman Whitfield you're, you're just going to be like right away it's like I got to check this out and it's just amazing how that guy uh, he might be you know uh, underrated I'm not sure if in certain circles he gets the respect that he deserves but think about how transformative this guy was to be able to write songs in Ma- Motown's heyday to have like this psychedelic soul thing going on and then make this transition into disco with another perfect record is just pretty impressive man yeah for sure it is yeah and again not to keep you throwing the word underrated in there but he Norman Whitfield is just really super important to soul music and music in general more than most people I think give him credit for right right so if I was going to take a, uh, a a song from this record I'm going to want it to be one that was written by Mr. Whitfield and it's going to be I'm Going Down by Rose Royce and this song really helped out the movie in a way because like there's this uh, prostitute character Marlene right and she's like in and out of the car wash and around the area and she falls in love with one of what you assume is one of her tricks Joe and uh, tries to call him up on the payphone right and uh, it turns out that he gave her a bunk number then there's like this montage of her going about her daily work like getting ready to pull these tricks or whatever like I said, it's rated PG, so you don't see anything too racy or anything. But you see her getting ready, and you and you see her meeting all these guys. And this is a song that's playing. This I'm going down while this prostitute is going through her daily life, like feeling misery because nobody really loves her. It's a powerful moment in the film, which happens to be a PG-rated comedy movie. It just really probably helped that relate to the people in the hood or whatever who are taking this in, you know, that there's a bigger meaning than just making jokes. Like, I mean, this is our life. And this is a rad song, and I, I think it turned a lot of people on to Rose Royce, and hopefully it turns a lot of our listeners on to Norman Whitfield and everything he has to offer. And it should also be noted that a lot of people may know that song, too, because Mary J. Blige recorded it, yeah. like, in 1994. She did a cover of that song, too. Almost note for note, like almost unnecessary. Yeah, and I, like I prefer the Rose Royce version, right. because there is some like, super emotion in that song, too. There really is. And then, right. I mean, obviously, Mary J. Blige can sing. But I just don't think she captured that feeling that Gwen Dickey, it's perfect for that song. And then that scenario that you're talking about where it takes place in the movie, it's perfect for that. Yep, definitely. You got a uh, another soundtrack that you'd like to talk to us about, Jay? Yeah, sure, sure. Um, the next soundtrack I want to do is kind of, it's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And um, 
it's a great soundtrack too, and I really love it a lot too. It's that's the the soundtrack for uh, Rumblefish, the Francis Ford Coppola movie. Oh, great! And that was uh, composed and performed completely performed mostly other than horns and things like brass and things like that by Stuart Copeland of the Police. Yeah, what a great movie and what a great soundtrack! I never watched the movie all the way through. I missed a couple of classes. That was actually in like a film appreciation class that we had in high school. And I imagine it was because we watched The Outsiders and then we, you know what I mean? I imagine it was part of like a series, but I, I was stoned at well, that time. I don't really yeah, know what's and, going on. And that's the interesting thing about that movie too, is that he actually, he did, they filmed The Outsiders and then he kept most of the crew there and brought in the new cast. And then literally he stopped shooting one film and then began shooting this like literally right after he finished shooting The Outsiders. Like side by side. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, but completely different. Completely different in tone. Both movies are so completely different in tone. But Absolutely. It's, it's just a great film. And it's you know shot in black and white, and not just like not sepia tone. I mean, like there's a lot of shadow. There's a lot of contrast. It's really cool to see. And you wouldn't think that the music that you hear on the soundtrack um, would fit, but man, the way they mix it in is pretty impressive it it really works well he was definitely going for as far as that goes i mean he was definitely going for like uh like a like the like a french new wave thing a german expressionist thing i was reading or not reading i have the criterion version of that movie so obviously there's the director's uh what do you call that uh, commentary director's commentary the commentary yeah and he's talking to me basically or there's an interview with somebody or it was in the commentary where he basically he said i wanted to make a teenage art film and he did. It's a beautiful film. Oh, that's awesome. And like I said, it's, it's, it's impressive that Stuart Copeland plays everything. I mean, he's he, I, he's a super great like musician as a general rule, too. He used to be, while he was in the police, he also had a side project called Clark Kent, where he played everything, too. And obviously, because he's a drummer, this soundtrack is really percussion-driven, obviously. Right, right, right. But it's just, it's just it's, he wanted it, I guess Francis Ford Coppola wanted something percussive, to like sonically represent time passing you know and percussive oh, is all it, about yeah. the time signatures and stuff too so copeland was almost perfect for, for that i did notice there's there is a lot of that um uh, sort of upstroke and, and and reggae feels a lot of like steel drum type sound things that were prevalent in the police so it makes you kind of rethink about perhaps how important copeland was in that band not just as oh drummers are important like duh but i mean like as yeah. far as the creative process goes i mean yeah i mean he wrote all the songs when they first started too i mean before sting started flexing his muscles and they realized that sting was right in the hits i mean when you listen to the clark kent stuff you can hear a lot of that stuff in the first couple of police records he definitely has his own guitar style that's so tight if you had to choose uh, one cut from this soundtrack uh, to put on our uh, mixtape at the end of the episode, what would that be? Well, you know what? It's a great soundtrack, and mostly it's a score for the most part. Right, right. But there's a, there's a song on there that there is one song on there with vocals. There's a song called Don't Box Me In, which uh, Copeland played everything on, and the, the vocals are done by Stan Ridgway right, of right. Wall of Voodoo. It made, it has, it sh- the video showed on MTV a little bit. It's a great fucking song. It's, it, if you have YouTube, it's a great fucking video too. But that's the song I would pick. It's called Don't Box Me In. It's Stuart Copeland and Stan Ridgway from Wall of Voodoo. Yeah, and it's like the best of both worlds. Like, it's so, it, I can't imagine. Uh, I mostly know Wall of Voodoo from, you know, like Mexican radio. But right. like, yeah. I mean, it's so perfect. It seems like his, his voice is so perfect for, for the canvas that Copeland gives him. It's like a, it's like the perfect, uh, 
what do you call that when two people work together? <laughs> Collaboration. <laughs> there you go. Well, and the thing too is that the thing about Stan Ridgway's voice is his his voice, his vocals were always kind of witchy, and the song itself is about you know getting out of this podunk town that you know it's like I'm gonna go find the world, I'm gonna make it mine, I'm gonna make it my bitch, right. and it has that. That, that when you're young and twitchy, and I feel like Ridgeway's vocals kind of perfectly kind of capture that young, twitchy, adrenaline pump kind of, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because, and, you know, you think about some of the uh, most memorable quotes from the movie or whatever, you know, it's like, oh, your brother could have been anything he wanted to be. He just has so much heart. And I don't, I don't know the exact quote. Maybe I can find it. I don't own the movie either. Maybe I can rip it off the internet or something and, and, and find some of those quotes. But there is a lot of that in the actual movie that is like, don't box me in is the perfect summary as far as exactly. what was going on with the yeah. character. The motorcycle boy, which is a character that Mickey Rourke plays, he's kind of like this kind of quiet genius. He's just one of those people that just never reached his full potential. You knew and you felt that he could have done more with right. his life, but just couldn't be bothered. And then you have his brother, yeah. Matt Dillon's character, Rusty, who wanted to be his older brother so bad, but didn't have the intelligence that Motorcycle Boy had. Exactly. That's cool, man. Okay, so we've done mine. And so what else do you have on your end? I want to do uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers and their score and soundtrack to the 1996 Ed Burns film, She's the One. That's a good one. Yeah, the movie itself is, you know, it's a rom-com. I mean, it's decent, I guess. Well, I mean, I mean uh, when Edward Burns, I mean, when he filmed that, I mean, that was, I mean, he was kind of like a, the forerunner of all the shit that would be considered indie film after that. I mean, he was kind of an indie film director. Right, he did, you know, Sidewalks in New York. And then he went on to be an actor, right? He was in Saving Private yep, Saving Ryan, Ryan, Ryan. He was yep. in some other shit. And then he married Christy Turlington, so I was super jealous. Of, oh, I did, I did not know that. Yeah. I, li- I liked his first girlfriend better, the one who was actually in She's the One. Right, right. And they always said he would put his girlfriends in these movies and they weren't the best actors. I mean, even in this movie, you know, you have Jennifer Aniston playing like a minor role. You have Cameron Diaz in it, and then he has his girlfriend playing. Yeah, his Maxine Bond. I'm not sure if it's Maxine Bond or Maxine Bain, who I was in love with, who doesn't act anymore. She's like a triathlete now. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, she was in a couple of his movies, but I remember reading reviews where they were kind of, critics were kind of getting on him for like putting his girlfriend in because she wasn't the greatest actress in the world, but she was nice to look Big at, deal. So. Oh, yeah. That's all that matters. <laughs> but anyway, I, sidetra- I sidetracked him. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Let's talk about some music. All right, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers did this. And now I'm not sure. You can tell by like just the copyrights, it's a little bit cryptic. It's like a general. It doesn't go track by track as far as the publishing is concerned. So it's like 1992 to 1996 these songs were made. So you can assume from that and just sonically, you can tell that some of these tracks came from like the Wildflowers sessions. Yeah. And I think, I mean, the, that soundtrack came out in 96. Look at me with the years, actually knowing what years they came out with. That's awesome, dude. And and, uh, and then Tom Petty, Wildflowers came out. I think it came out like a couple years before. It came out in 94. 94. And I think right. they're both produced by Rick Rubin, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. 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 Okay. So it was, you're probably right. I mean, I think it's like the kind of like the that creative role that he was on at that time, the Wildflowers. I think you totally nailed that. Right, and that's where I came into, I mean, those were my high school years, right? And that's where I came into really liking Tom Petty. I mean, I heard his shit before. You hear it on the radio, obviously. 
uh, I was aware of Tom Petty, but I wasn't really into his shit until Wildflowers came along, and then, you know, subsequently this soundtrack. And it's just rad, man. I love all the songs. There is some instrumental stuff in there. And originally, when I was going to pick a song for the soundtrack, I was going to take, there's like two variations of this song called Angel Dream. Yeah. And it's like number two and number four. And I was like, oh, this will be sweet. I can like mix them together and like make a new song out of the two existing songs <laughs> with the sampler on the mixer. And I actually ended up doing that. It is pretty sweet. But then I was thinking about it. I was like, you know what? But that's not my favorite song on the record. My favorite song on this Tom Petty record, the soundtrack for She's the One, is not even a Tom Petty song. It's Tom Petty, but he's covering Beck with the song Asshole. And I'm like, Asshole, yeah. that's what we need on this mix because it's not too often that you have like somebody at Tom Petty's stature like... I don't know, just recognizing the greatness in 1996 that was Beck, who really hadn't been around. I mean, he's been around, but not famous for very long at that point in time. And Tom Petty, world-renowned rocker, was like, yeah, this song's the shit. Beck's really, really on his shit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what a way to kind of like pass the torch on to like the next generation and say, I'm acknowledging that this guy's awesome. And I would like to just make a mention to anybody who's our listeners, specifically our friends, if you haven't checked out the Echoes Remember, the music of Tom Petty that Andy Reid put that out with your friend JD and some others like our friend Matt and who else is on there? Amy Petty's on uh, Amy, there. Amy Petty's Sarah Shinjek, Donnie yeah. Brown, Jeff Yons, all these people that we know, which is crazy when you think about it. Like we know all these musicians, right? Who are all ridiculously talented on top of that. They do such a great job on this record. I finally had a commute that was long enough. Like, because I wanted to hear it all the way through. Yeah. And the only tracks I've listened to from that so far are the ones that kind of like JD will throw it up on his page. Like, I've heard like three or four of the songs, but I still haven't sat down and tried to, like, ingest all of that yet. Well, I would say to you and to any of our listeners who appreciate the music of Tom Petty, you really, I mean, they did a really good job. It's some next level shit. Yeah, dude. I don't know why I like him so much. He's kind of like a simpleton when it comes to, like, lyrically, he doesn't blow you out of the water, but he's a great storyteller. He's got solid lines that you're like, how did somebody not write that before? Well, I'm just going to say this about Tom Petty. There's two things I want to say about Tom Petty. And I had a friend of mine years ago who said this to me, and I've tested it, and I've always found it to be true. No one hates Tom Petty. No one does it not like Tom Petty. No one's ever said, hey, do you like Tom Petty? No one's ever said, oh, I fucking hate him. No one. <laughs> and then secondly, it's just an observation of mine. Right. No songwriter wrote about the adult relationship uh-huh. like Tom Petty did. And you're right, it does seem simple, but he's one of those guys that makes it look simple. No one wrote about adult relationships like Tom Petty did. No one. Hands down. And what are you thinking about? You're thinking about an adult romantic comedy. What a perfect choice. Absolutely. That worked out perfectly for Mr. Burns and his movie and his ex-girlfriend that you had a crush on that was a shitty actress. (laughs) (laughs) Who's now a triathlete. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) Uh, Jay, can you give me another soundtrack? album that you love and like to talk about yeah the next one i'm going to do is um and this much like decline and repo man again was kind of like a touchstone for new wave music and that is a it's a soundtrack for a movie called Times square Times square i was unfamiliar with this movie and this soundtrack until you mentioned it to me and it was a while ago when we started talking about doing this we were just throwing out ideas but man you look at the track listing of that soundtrack and it is like killer dude like it's yeah it's like it's like intro to new wave i mean it's like Susie quattro the pretenders roxy music gary newman joe jackson the talking heads xdc the ramones the cure the ruts and lou reed david johansson patty smith i mean that again you want to talk to somebody like this is like 
prime real estate new wave rock and roll. You like it's, again if somebody if a kid was gonna go, I'm gonna get into I wanna get into some eighties kind of music. Right. This is the soundtrack. This is one of those examples of where the soundtrack is actually better than the film is. Right. I, I did end up watching the film because I, I you got it free on on YouTube. Yeah. And I did watch it and it was a little discombobulated. It was a little but then I did some research just, you know, not super deep research, but I was interested, you know, because I'm how did this soundtrack come out of this movie? And I guess the director had different ideas about how he wanted the movie to progress. It was more of like a lesbian love story, and then that sort of all got cut out. Yep, exactly. And then they had to try to tie up all the loose ends, and it just it didn't work after that. Yeah. But it was still a cool movie. I mean, there's still cool moments in it. It's two girls like sort of escaping from. Well, one yeah, one is like a rich girl, and one's like a like street girl, right. and they meet like in a, a mental institution, and they run away, and they kind of create this mini teenage revolution. It's a great. It's, I mean, the idea of the movie is good. It has a lot of heart. Right. But it's just not. It's not a great movie. And the big draw is that Tim Curry's in it for probably 20 minutes total. There are 8 million stories in the big city. People say I have a bird's eye view. Perched up here night after night, looking right down into the heart of the beast. Yes, stuff comes with me. Will you get in the car? Yes, it's story time. This is Johnny LaGuardia. It's that kind of night and that kind of feeling. But it was put out by RSO, Robert Stigwood, who was who did like Saturday Night Fever and he did like the bomb that is Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band with the Bee Gees and Peter Frampton. Yeah. So I mean I think that they were just he was kind of on a roll like yeah. commercially. And then these were some major missteps for him. Because here's a little trivia, and you probably saw this when you did the research. There was, there was a budget of five million for this movie. Uh-huh. And it made one point four million. Ouch. Yeah, and I still remember. I so I actually saw this at the theater. I remember going to see it at the State Theater downtown. We got out of school, me and my friend, and we went and saw it. We were the only two people in the theater, of course. Oh wow! I think it was on for like a. I think it was on for like a week. <laughs> well, but also it should be known just for like geek points. The director of that movie, his name is Alan Moyle, uh-huh. and he actually went on to direct like Pump Up the Volume and Empire Records oh, and some other films so that, that you would the know too. Genre too, that's pretty awesome. But I kind of spotlighted those because they were of the musical genre, but he's done some other films too that you would probably know that I. I'm, I'm, I'm just not thinking of it right now. And this was obviously a double LP, right? Because there's so many fucking songs. It's got to be. It had to be on two records, right? It is. It is. Yep. It was mostly a. Du- yeah, it was definitely a double record. Yeah. When I listened to all the songs, of course I knew a lot of them, because um, there's some hits on there, man. But there was one song in particular, an ecstasy song that I had never heard in my life, and it blew me the fuck yeah. away. And I think I texted yeah, you. Yeah, take this time. Yeah, dude. Yeah. I was like, oh my god, I just I can't believe how good this is, and then I've never fucking heard it. And as we talked. For a long time, this was kind of this record was for XTC fans. This was a must-have because for a very long time, this is the only thing you could get that song on. The Times Square soundtrack is the only place you could find that song for a very long time. That's another cool thing about soundtracks, right? Is the exclusivity of some of these tracks that find their way to soundtracks. A lot of times, these bands don't, even though they're hits, you know, they don't take them and then put them on their next record. Now right. that does happen. Like on some, I remember when the Crow soundtrack came out, it was like. 
Stone Temple Pilots had a song on that, and then like a year and a half later, it was on their new record. And I'm like, well, that's kind of lame. Yeah. So I like the way that Ecstasy did it, man. And there might have been some licensing things or something involved with that. Yeah, and sometimes too, I think they maybe feel like it's maybe lesser material. Although I don't know how you could think it's lesser material. And they take away, you know, we don't want to put this on our record. It's not good enough for our record, but we'll give it to you for this soundtrack. Right. But that song kills, man. Song kills. Oh, the whole is wall to wall. I mean, there's a couple clunkers on there, but overall, it's it's a. I mean, there's some like really commercial, like uh, major label shit on there, but it's a great record though. So with all those hits across four sides of album, which one song are you going to choose to put on our mix? You know, and I really thought about this too. You know, I mean, like like Life During Wartime by the Talking Heads is on there, and Down the Park by Gary Newman. Those are songs everybody knows, but the song that I wanted to pick is actually a song because in the movie the two girls start this band called the Slee Sisters right and they have they have a uh, they get actually Tim Curry's characters gets them in the studio and they do a couple tracks and there's a song on there called that, that they do called Damn Dog right right and so like I don't I didn't want to pick one of the obvious songs I wanted to pick like a song that was like kind of integral to the film and it kind of has like that kind of snarling Joan Jet kind of thing to it but it's a song called Damn Dog that's actually sung by Robin Johnson, who was actually the actress. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually in the film. Yeah, again, another exclusive song that you can only get because it's not like she then went on to have this music career or anything. So, well, the interesting thing about her too, and not to just keep going on about the movies, we could we could do like a whole other thing just about the movies alone. Yep. But Robin Johnson was actually signed to a contract with RSO, and they were going to develop her. They were talking about like making her like the next John Travolta, so they signed her to exclusivity for that studio for the RSO studio wow and then they never used her they never used her like years had passed and she just completely just left the the movie industry altogether <laughs> she just left it she, that's awesome she never did much after that well that's cool man look at us alright so we got that one down so that means I volley back to you what do you got I want to uh you know, if you're going to be talking about, especially somebody like me who's real into hip-hop, who's real into, obviously, like the sample sources of that genre. So we're going to be talking about soul music. We're going to be talking about funk and disco and all this. It's like you, you almost have to talk about black exploitation soundtracks. Sure. Because in the history of film, man, there's so many good ones. you got to think, like, automatically. You think of Shaft, right? Isaac Hayes. Superfly. Dude, Curtis Mayfield's best record, probably, and that's saying a lot. Trouble Man, Marvin Gaye, that might be his best record. Yep, that's another one. Maybe not. I mean, what's going on is probably more uh, culturally significant, but, you know, Trouble Man is a killer record. Black Belt Jones, uh, Cleopatra Jones, uh, Roy Ayers when he did Coffee, uh, Across 110th Street, Bobby Womack. That's the one I was trying to That's when I was trying to think of the Womack when I couldn't think of that one. Dude. Yeah. yeah, that's a great one, too. All awesome. But the the black exploitation film I want to talk about is uh, 1973 film uh, Black Caesar and the soundtrack was by one uh, Godfather of Soul James Brown yeah I've heard of him I shall not feel good hit me I feel good oh yeah he's pretty cool 
<laughs> so this is of all the movies that you picked, though, this is actually the only movie that I had actually not seen. I still haven't seen it. I, I, don't, I have not seen this film. It's not really worth seeing. I mean, it's okay or whatever in black exploitation. Well, I love those things. movies. Though. I love. I've seen all those. You know, I've, I, I really love those movies yeah. too. But for some reason, I never got around to seeing this. Basically, it's uh, Fred Williamson, who's like you know he became an actor, but he started as a football star. He's not. He was obviously just going to be an action star. You know, that's his chops really only allowed him to do that. But it's a story of like this kid who grows up rough in Harlem, right? And he ends up eventually like joining the mafia, the black mafia. And then he's like this godfather character. He's kind of an asshole. Like, I mean, it is a love story at a point, but then he like beats and rapes the, the woman that he loves and stuff. And then you assume that he dies in the end. Now, of course, there is a question mark with that. And there was a sequel produced, so he didn't really die. I mean, the film itself isn't that great, but James Brown's soundtrack is entirely fucking awesome. Yeah. He's just at the top of his game. And of course, he gets a lot of help from the JB's his band. Uh, Fred Wesley, who's the trombonist for Parliament Funkadelic, like he does a lot. You can tell like a lot of these horn selections, these horn cuts are really driving these songs. And that's probably all Fred Wesley and just James Brown kind of taking the credit to him. But he still adds that. So, I mean, you can't have a James Brown sound without the James Brown, right? So it's a total effort by a lot more people than just the Godfather himself. But man, it's killer. I have two little things I want to say, but I actually hadn't heard the whole soundtrack until you told me we'll give each other our list and stuff. And if we're not familiar with it, we can go back and we can listen to it. So a lot of that I had not heard before. So I just wanted to say that I, that was like me listening to that was like the first time I ever listened to it. On the other end of that, back when I was a kid, I would go into Harry's Amusements, which was the record store on the South End on Broadway yep. that I would get all my records yep. from. And they used to have all the top 40 stuff behind the counter, but they would have like units like where you could go through the 45s that they got that weren't hits or that didn't sell. And I, on a whim, I had never heard of it before. I know who James Brown was. I can't remember how old I was. I had to be nine or ten. And I actually have the 45 of uh, Down and Out in New York City. Oh, yeah. And that was the, uh, I think that was the title track. It was the first track on the record. That's a killer that's track. the very man. first track. Yeah. And that's, so, so it's funny because I was familiar with it and then not familiar with it at the same time. But anyway, I'm sorry. I sidetracked you. So, um, But I also, while we're talking about Tissue, and we're, this, is the, this is the one I listened to where I said, okay, that's the song I want to use as my walking around song oh, for yeah. the rest of my life. Yeah. Sporting life. <laughs> that's so awesome. I heard that and I'm like, that's the song that I want playing <laughs> when I'm walking down the street, when I'm walking anywhere. That's the song. My, my personal soundtrack. This was, uh, <laughs> that's so cool. Full circle, man. Lightning Licks Radio brings it full circle. Just just yeah. for us, but that's enough. <laughs> it is enough. Well, maybe it's not just for us. Who knows? The soundtrack was a relative hit. It wasn't, he didn't get a lot of respect like back in the day. Besides, I mean, his numbers sold like in the black communities and stuff, but like critics weren't hip to his shit. Now, like going back, they're all like everything James Brown fucking rules. So, but yeah. back then they thought it was pretty shitty. Yeah. And on that note too, you because I actually did some more research on this too. And Robert Criscow, I'm not sure how you say his last name, who was like this like critic, you know, he's He's like upper echelon. He's in the yeah. same breath as Lester Banks. He fucking detested the soundtrack. Said James Brown should never do soundtracks. He he gave. I think he gave it like a because he grades them all. Yeah. I think he gave it like a D minus. Oh, that's terrible. Which is fucking ridiculous because it's so fucking funky and tight. Like how do you not love that? How do you not love that collection of songs? I, I have no idea. Well, they did sign James Brown to actually do. Uh, Hell Up in Harlem, which was the sequel, but um, he was like dragging his feet and he was doing other soundtracks because he found out he could get a lot of money from these film companies and stuff. So he was doing Slaughter's Big Ripoff and he put 
this other sequel, uh, you know, the Black Caesar sequel on the back burner, and they, they like, kicked him off. They said, like, fuck you then. We're just going to Motown, and we're going to have Edwin Starr do it. He got it. He had a bunch of coke. He did it in, like, a day, right? So Edwin Starr ends up doing the soundtrack, and so James Brown has all these songs that were written for... Uh, Hell Up in Harlem, which was a sequel to Black Caesar, but he doesn't have that movie anymore. But uh, he's like, oh, fuck it, we'll just release it ourselves. We'll call it The Payback. The Payback album is actually written as Hell Up in Harlem's soundtrack, but it never came out that way. It just came out as a James Brown LP, and that fucking album is killer. And let it be noted that that is the thing I learned today. I did not know that. Isn't that awesome? Look at us learning and stuff. Yeah. Going really deep yeah. in rabbit holes, and we're pulling shit out left and right. <laughs> yeah, I did not know that. If I had to pick a song, it'd be tough. I was thinking about uh, picking your walking around song, but like you, sometimes I want to dig a little bit deeper, yeah. and I want to take something that's not so obvious. So I decided to take the song Make It Good to Yourself. It's, it's a killer dance floor, funky soul jam. That's a great song. And it's just like yeah, it's so the good. horn licks are fucking killer. It's just, you know, obviously James Brown, really percussive. It's just awesome. It's just an awesome song. It's really going to add some funk to our mix. I'm excited for for it <laughs> yeah our new wave everything is like all new wave or punk rock on my side so yeah it'll be <laughs> nice to break it up a little bit the last one as far as and i don't know where we're gonna go from here but the last one that i had picked because usually me and you we do like five i wanted to like let people know that i wasn't completely living in the past so right. i wanted to pick something that was fairly recent i honestly as much as i love films i don't watch movies as much as i used to for whatever reason i just kind of lost interest uh-huh. but i recently i saw a film it came out in 2014 but i only saw it like last year for the first time it's a movie called a girl walks home alone at night okay it's directed by anna lily amapur and she's of iranian descent it's a basically what it is it's it's an iranian vampire spaghetti western if you can wrap your head around that <laughs> that sounds great yeah it's an it's an amazing atmospheric it's a beautiful film um it was shot in like southern california but all the dialogue is in farsi so it's kind of a mind fuck it's a it's a great film it's like one of the first it's like i don't really get blown away by films much anymore but this movie just kind of quietly killed me it's subtitled obviously right for you yeah yep yeah it's super atmospheric i mean a lot of people like i have friends who don't like the movie because as I get older, I find that I really like movies that are like ethereal and slow, and I like the imagery. You know, I I don't I just like my stuff to be more quiet. Right. And a lot of people like when they watch when they saw this film, they're like, oh my god, it's so slow, it's so boring, it's so dull. But that's everything that I loved about it. It's very ethereal. Um, like the images are just stunning. It's in, like in black and white too. It's kind of like kind of that Rumblefish thing. It's there's a lot of with shadows and it's, it's it's a great film it's just moody and amazing and the music rules too obviously right or we wouldn't be talking about it yeah and it's interesting because a majority of the soundtrack there's like four or five bands that are kind of represented throughout this and they all kind of bring a different flavor but almost all of them are like either Iranian or or from, they're from like like based out of Tehran uh-huh. and even they, they she uses like one song from like 1973 uh, by a singer named Dariush Iqbali. It's like from 1973, but he was like an Iranian singer. Uh-huh. So it all has kind of like that Iranian feel to it, but each band kind of brings their own version. They come at it at a different angle. That's awesome. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I totally get it. Because there's a band on there called Kiosk that's kind of like almost like it's Iranian folk and it's a kind of like gypsy jazz. There's a band called Radio Tehran, which is kind of like indie pop filtered through Iranian music. There's a band on there called Federal, which again is kind of an Iranian twist on psych rock. Cool. And then there's a band called, I'm not sure if it's Farah or Farah, and they're actually from Texas. 
so there's kind of like electronic kind of house trance kind of thing. There's all sorts of things going on here. But the music fits the mood of the movie perfectly for whatever scene it's accompanying. And it's amazing that you were able to find that on vinyl. So it must have been known that this is a great soundtrack or they wouldn't have made it available, right? I, I don't know. I'm not really sure because it's like, I remember, I mean, it's on a label I've never even heard of called Death Waltz. And I think you know, there's all these like weird labels that like kind of like they specialize, uh, specialize yeah, in Yeah, they things. specialize in like, yeah, like these kind of like, yeah, these kind of more obscure kind of soundtracks and films and stuff. You know, I've got something with Death Waltz and I, maybe they do mostly horror movies. I think I like think that you're right theirs. actually now that you mentioned that I think yeah. yeah I don't know much about them other than that but I think that you're probably right yeah but yeah so if you if you have not seen the movie it's actually one of my favorite vampire films I mean I'm a sucker for a vampire film like right. a good vampire film and I would put that in like my top three vampire films of all time okay that's awesome so if you're gonna pick one song from this movie a girl walks home alone at night which Iranian song do you want to put on our mix well I'm gonna go with again because there's four or five bands on there. It, again, it does really have like a spaghetti western kind of feel to it. And they, all the songs by Federal, they kind of supply that feeling. But there is a band on there called Radio Tehran. It's more kind of traditional indie pop, again, filtered through yeah. traditional Iranian music. And they have a song on there called, and I'm not even sure if I'm even saying this right. Uh, it's it's G E L A Y E, Jalay. Jalay, I think, yeah. The song is called Jalay, and the band is Radio Tehran. And it's a, it's a great song. It's just a killer song. It really is. I listened to it when you, when you you shared along and i'm thinking like man this is like iranian radiohead this is pretty yeah rad. It's, a, it's a great song <laughs> all right so those those are the picks that i had of the five picks so we're going to talk about anything more so i need to hear what is your last your last pick yeah okay i've got two left because you oh, did two. You? oh yeah that's right all right so go ahead and do your last two what's the next one we're gonna go with a 1995 spike lee joint clockers i saw that movie i have not seen it since i originally saw it i remember really loving that film though spike lee's kind of like i love all like i'm a super fan but it goes back to like discovering public enemy and stuff like that i mean there's like a lot of weird reasons where i really love spike lee joints but this one really kind of caught me back that was a movie it's based on a novel by robert price and it's like the street crime drug type thing i think it was one of the first movies that he did that he didn't write himself that he took from another source i think right and he has since done a lot of that work he doesn't yeah he doesn't necessarily write a lot of his stuff anymore he's just sort of like you know he gets to pick what he wants to do for boom and that's pretty cool but i think martin scorsese was originally supposed to do this right but then he got wrapped up in casino and like he couldn't at that time and so he just like sort of gave it to spike lee and spike lee just ran with it man he did his his best to make it a spike lee joint and it was fucking awesome it was like recorded on like camcorder type stuff it was before camcorders went digital so it's like tape so it's like has this gritty street feel and like the colors are really vivid like the reds and blues really contrast very well and like when it's dark it's really dark and when it's light it's really light the cinematography is just excellent but it's got some great performances by uh Mackay pfeiffer i think that was his first role his first film yeah one of his fir- early first films yeah and harvey Keitel's in it as a cop and then john totoro has a small cop role in it like as his partner it's a fucking cool movie about drug dealers about the street about just growing up like in the hood and being a part of this drug game and uh the music is killer it's like right up my alley it's sort of sprinkled with a lot of r&b that i didn't necessarily get into but it's like the more palatable type of r&b so it's got your desirees and your seals right it's more soulful R&B, but there's also hip-hop involved too. Just a good compilation, even if it didn't have to do with a rad movie, which it does. Spike Lee's always been great with his soundtrack, so who can forget Stevie Wonder's Jungle Fever, right? Oh 
my god, the soundtrack that he did for Crooklyn, oh, dude, yeah. which is just a bunch of 70s, like it's a great 70s mixtape of itself is good, but him, the way he used jazz, Marcellus and stuff in a lot of his films, and he, my god, dude, fucking Public Enemy, are you kidding me? Do the right thing? Right, Fuck. The yeah, I mean. Then he did uh, Bamboozled with uh, Burned Hollywood Burn, which is like the sequel to Burn Hollywood Burn. He had Zach De La Roche on it and The Roots. Like, he's just good at it. Yeah, I feel like he's one of those directors that really has his hands and like, he really wants the He's really thinking cinematically about the music as he's filming these things or as he's coming up with these ideas where it's it's almost as important as the film itself, what's going on in the film itself. Right. There's a lot of directors that we weren't even able to get to, like the Tarantinos and the Sofia Coppolas and the Zach Braffs and guys like that, David Fincher. I mean, like music always seems to be like a huge part. Yeah, and you have like newer guys too, like Edgar Wright. Yeah, the guy, I mean, he, his stuff is so, I mean, his music, is, he's talking about like, I'm listening to this music as I'm writing these screenplays for these films and he's got this music in his head that he already wants to use like I said like Tarantino that yeah and even like the Scorsese's like when you're talking about like gritty crime dramas and stuff you got to think about like Goodfellas and honestly if Goodfellas soundtrack contained like all of the songs that were in the actual movie like I would have probably had it on this list but it doesn't yeah. there must have been some licensing reasons why they could because um they have a couple stone songs they had Monkey Man um, in that yeah, and movie. Uh, Can't You Hear Me Knocking I yeah, can't remember which Can't You Hear Me Knocking was in one of those movies too which is uh, which was perfect for the scene that it was in too but for whatever reason it, those songs that are in the movie don't always make it to the soundtrack and when that happens it's like you can't well there's a, well, there's a couple of movies like that just again while we're talking about that before I forget I mean there isn't a legit soundtrack for 16 Candles right I mean there's a soundtrack for Pretty in Pink there's a soundtrack for all the other movies he did after that but there isn't one for that and it's the same thing with Valley Girl they put there is a Valley Girl soundtrack that you can buy now but that Valley Girl soundtrack did not exist when that movie came out man and that's so weird that they wouldn't have wanted to capitalize on the because it's it's perfect marketing especially back in the day right exactly I would think so yeah it, it always blows my mind that there wasn't a technically like again a soundtrack for either one of those there isn't a soundtrack for Ferris Bueller's Day Off for that matter that's a great that's like, there's so many good songs in that movie, and there isn't a soundtrack. I never even thought of it. I just assumed there always was, but there there isn't. I don't believe I don't believe that there is. Oh yeah, and there's iconic. I mean, it'll never go. Oh yeah. I mean, that'll never not yeah. be a thing, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, my God, and the, and the Dream Academy doing the Smiths and Big Audio Dynamite is in there. Yeah, I mean, there's some great shit in that movie. Well, this actual soundtrack <laughs> that I have. Uh, sorry, no, I did derail you. I'm sorry. That's we do it to ourselves. It's fine. Uh, Spike Lee's Clockers. Um, I'm gonna pick a song to put on our mix we're gonna add some hip-hop and it's a song entitled uh, return of the crooklyn dodgers by the crooklyn dodgers now the crooklyn dodgers weren't like a real band i mean they came They're up kind of like a hip-hop supergroup. yeah but they started as a hip-hop supergroup of other hip-hop artists like when they first came yeah. out and then they changed like the lineup and then when they came back it's changed again but this specific yeah. hip-hop supergroup was jru the damager oc and chub rock three great really hardcore new york mcs and it plays over yeah. just this killer dj premier beat dj premier yeah absolutely for my money it's one of the best boom bat beats in hip-hop history and if you dig deep like i did like i was a super nerd i used to always try to find like where these samples would come from and it comes from young holt trio and just for the record too the young holt shit is amazing and that band if you like google them they have been sampled to death oh no kidding to death oh my god de la soul samples i mean everyone go look up young holt because their stuff that is some like smooth shit right there i fucking love those young holt records but they have been sampled to death by the hip-hop community well they must have been if their records were available right they must have been popular for what they were doing in their day because if all these producers are 
sampling yeah. their stuff, that means they were, you know, getting their hands on their records. So I mean, I don't know if they had any hits. I mean, I think the biggest hit that they had was I can't remember who did it originally. That song called "I'm the Same Girl." They do an instrumental version of that. It was a hit for Barbara Ackland did a vocal version. When Young Holt right. did it, it was an instrumental version. Barbara Ackman did it in 68, and then like Swing Out Sister did it oh, okay. like in the 80s too. But the thing is, with the Young Hole stuff, they used to do like a lot of like really groovy covers of like pop songs of the time too, but they would kind of like yeah. stole them up a lot. So, but we'll talk we'll talk about that later. I'm oh, sorry, no, that's no, no big deal. But I mean, like back in the day, that was a big deal. Like you could be a successful band by just basically interpreting popular music of the day, and it wasn't thought to be like you were biting. I mean. Everybody was doing everybody's songs. That's just the way. When you had to cut a record, you had to you had to bring your slam in his tunes, right? Like that's just what you did. And I, and I think some of the best records in the '70s are soul bands doing. I, I mean, not to seriously. If there's a better version than the Isley Brothers' "Summer Breeze," I don't know what it is. I do know what it is. It's main ingredients version of "Summer Breeze." Yeah, exactly. You know, there were so many of these soul bands, like the Fifth Dimension yeah. and stuff, that took all this pop stuff and they just they just flipped it on its head. And it's they're all all the versions are great. I mean, how many Beatles covers, you know, were done by like all these soul artists and soul bands, and they just fucking just completely make them their own. I mean, but again, I, once again, I derailed you. Yeah, well, I tell you what, Jay. Part of the reason that music is used in film is to foreshadow, and I think you might have just foreshadowed a Lightning Licks Radio episode uh, talking about all these cover songs because that's something we can definitely get into. <laughs> well, that was one of the ones that yeah, we talked about that as one of our next episodes anyway, which I would love to do. Yeah, I'm just going to return to the Curriculum Dodgers great hip-hop track. We're going to throw that on the mix. And then my last influential soundtrack that I would like to spotlight that I own on vinyl that I love is Rushmore. It's a Wes Anderson film, 1996, and I love this soundtrack. Wes Anderson... Some people love him, some people hate him. I've always loved his shit, man. It's very quirky dialogue. It's weird shit going on in his movies. Uh, he's like an independent artist, basically, but now he gets blockbuster budget. So, I mean, his shit zany as hell, right? I'm just going to throw ahead and just say that. Uh, throw this in here, too, is I uh, honestly just, I, I'm not a fan of uh, this. I like Bottle Rocket. And everything after that, I've just I'm so I'm in the you're in that other side of the cave. I'm not the not at the hate category, but I'm not watching. I, I can tell you what. <laughs> One of the models I live my life by is if I don't like it, I don't like it. It don't mean that I'm hating. some of that shit y'all pop to it. I ain't relating. If I don't like it, I don't like it. That don't mean that I'm hating. So if you don't like it, you don't like right. it. It don't mean that you're hating. You just don't like it. <laughs> I like and that. I can, I can take that to heart. I want I want that stitched on a sampler. <laughs> but but hey, going back to whether you like Wes Anderson or not, he is one of those guys, like you said, like Tarantino, who can put together a fucking soundtrack. And he did it with the help of... Mark, Mark Mothersbaugh. Mothersbaugh. Yeah, from Devo, obviously. And Mark uh, has like eight compositions, like score compositions, uh, and they're all cool. They're all quirky. They're all Devo-y. They're all awesome. Some of them are a little simplistic, but it really just works well with the film, and it works well on their own. It's just cool to listen to. The soundtrack itself was originally intended to just feature kink songs, but for whatever reason, only one kink song made the final cut, but it's a good one. I did not know that either. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. It's uh, not Nothing that the world can stop me worried about that girl. girl. Yeah, what a great song. But other artists included are Cat Stevens, The Who, The Faces, John Lennon. I mean, come on, dude. Like, this is a great Yeah, and soundtrack. if a new generation could be turned on to The Faces, I mean, fucking Making Time by The Creation yep, is one of the greatest rock and roll songs so, I mean, ever. Ever. So yeah. it's, just a, it's a great soundtrack. Like I said, it's the collaboration really helps out because 
if you're the guy that gets to, you know, you're the music engineer and you're doing the score and you're selecting these tunes, man, you have a lot of input on how these films are going to go over and obviously how these soundtracks are going to sell, right? And I think there's always, as far as Wes Anderson is concerned, like all of his films, like you said, you don't really care for it. I kind of do, but they all have killer soundtracks for the most part so oh no doubt absolutely agreed with you he again music obviously he's one of those guys where music's in the back of his head as he's putting these as he's making these films right right so i'm going to uh choose the track oh yoko by john lennon it's one of my favorite songs of all time i think and i think it's because i mean it's really simple and it's almost like in the writing process people are just throwing out shit like that he should talk about he's like you know when i'm shaving or when I'm sleeping, or when I'm dreaming, or when I'm doing whatever, you know, he's just thinking about his girl, man, the love for his girl. It's just a cool groove, dude. Yeah, and I think that John Lennon was actually, again, I think as far as, like, taking... I shouldn't say simple emotions. Taking like complex. I mean, I mean, again, you, like you, I think you said it earlier. I can't remember who you were talking about in reference to. It's like sometimes he writes songs like, how does somebody not write that one already? I was talking it's about like some Tom Petty, Petty I think. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sometimes you think, oh man, this shit's so universal. Like, how is John Lennon the first person to write that? And I think a lot of his stuff is is like that. It's like it's so relatable. And you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, and clearly he's the one that gets it out, right? Yeah. And this is a great upbeat love song, and it can fit in any mix. It's like a ray of sunshine. It's like we can't be, I mean, especially in the times we're in right now where everything sucks, where you hate everybody. You know, you put oh Yoko on, and you don't hate everybody anymore. Even if you hate Yoko, for fuck's sake, you still love that song. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, because it's about love, and who doesn't love love, you know? I love love. Unless you're unless you're an asshole. It's all about love. So yeah. this mix is going to be all about love. This episode was all about love. I can tell you what, Jay, I love you and I miss you. I love you too and I miss you and I can't wait till we can actually be down in the basement drinking our poor man Bloody Marys yeah, man. and playing records together. You and know? I'm interested how this is going to turn out in the, in the editing process because obviously it's going to sound different. But, you know, it's like a movie episode and now maybe the background music and everything that we throw in the weeds... Maybe it can mean a little bit more, you know what I mean, than yeah. just being background yeah. noise. Maybe we can shape it so that it can do what music does in the soundtrack of a film. It can really prop up the shitty quality of our voices because we're talking over a goddamn <laughs> we, telephone. We need it. Yeah, because we, yeah, we could use it at this time around for sure. But we'll put all this stuff, it's all this stuff, you'll put it together and it'll be, we'll put it in a new context like a lot of these soundtracks are. Right, and you know, you know, like any other mixtape that we're getting from these soundtracks, soundtracks are basically like mixtapes in their own right. It's just about discovery. Yeah. It's just about making yeah. you feel good and that's what this mix is going to be. So, yeah. Tight. So, uh, normally at this time I'd say you're ready to get to mix and you'd say hell yeah but basically are you ready to leave your records on your on your porch so i can pick them up and come mix them hell yeah let's do this shit, <laughs> shit, 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 shit. hey welcome to the show the never ends Martucci, what you got we got a black male dead man daryl adams 22 years old the night manager this joint plays like this kid standing by the door he's having a conversation with another male pop pop poppity pop daryl goes down shooter does a carl lewis neighborhood says there's four shots fired at this point, that's all she wrote. Robbery? Nah, way too fast. Drugs? Was he a scumbag? I'll tell you the truth, I've never seen this kid before. Boys, Daryl Adams, Daryl Adams, the boys. Hey, Daryl. Hello in there. <laughs> Live by the gun, die by the gun. The kid had brains. Good thing he was wearing his gold, huh? Mm. Bing, 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 ricochet rabbit. 
I still think it was the food here. Pal, get in there, tell me what you got. We did it like that and now we do it like this. We did it like that and now we do it like this. <laughs> yeah. Now block kids who got the cocaine. Don't tell me it's the little kids on soul train. The metaphor sent from my brain to my jaw. It comes from other places, not the tinted faces. Journalistic values are yellow and then of course falters. You watch Channel Zero with that bitch Mama Walters. She have you believe black invented crack when President Lyndon had the formula way back in 63 with Kennedy. Yes, the double cross. Remember that's when they blow his fucking head off. Vietnam vets come back looking like one-armed pets. Nixon bombs, pure text. No picket vets, no job, no angel in the car. Blue collar turns to bourgeois. Depressed in your chest. Demoral for cess, no dough. Cracking veils, much less. White he can sell on the corners of Bushwick. White he can sell on the corners of Flatbush. White he can sell on the corners of Bed-Stuy. Pass the torch to that nigga guy. So just die, nigga. Slicing and 
Dyson. Peace to the East New York, perverted monks and Mike Tyson. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Represent the Brooklyn all night. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Because it is survival of the fittest. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Represent the Brooklyn all night. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Because it is survival of the fittest. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Represent the Brooklyn all night. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Because it is survival of the fittest. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Represent the Brooklyn all night. Crazy ass Brooklyn kid. Because it is survival of the fittest. My stepdad, he's a cop, you know, I haven't talked to him in a long time. Seen him at the movies one night. He didn't talk to me, he walked away. <laughs> Acted like he didn't know me. Where's your real father? Don't know. Don't even know who he is. Society stinks. <laughs> Show me your head. Why did you do that? I'm access. Never, never, never did before. Kiss me, squeeze me, huh? 
make me go some more, cause you know that I need you. Ah! You know that I need you. You know that I need you. You know that I, that I, that I, I said I need you. Hey, I need you. Now, Ben, can you make it steady? Can you make it fun, Ben? Can you make it goofy? Can you, can you, yeah!
Nikki. Oh, it's dead in here today. I wrote a poem too. It's lousy, though, shit. Read it to me. Damn dog, by Nikki Murata. I can lick your face and I can bite it too. My teeth got rabies, made to order for you. I'm a damn dog. No arms, no words, just a taste for danger. So I phone and chew the hands off a stranger. I'm a damn dog. You feel my fever? Can you hear me howl? I'm an evil genius. You better throw in the towel. Just a damn dog. Sit. Sucks, right? You know, it's kind of like a song. Get by. 
however we can We all gotta duck When the shit hits the fan Ten kids in a Cadillac Stand in line for welfare checks Let's all reach off the state Gee, the money's really great We just get by however we can We all gotta duck When the shit hits the fan Soup lines Three loaves of bread Five pound blocks of cheese Bags of groceries Social security Has run out on you and me We do whatever we can Gotta duck when the shit hits the fan Doobity doo wop wop say what yeah by however we can We all gotta duck When the shit hits the fan Soup lines Three loaves of bread Five pound blocks of cheese Bags of groceries Social security has run out on you and me. We do whatever we can. Gotta duck when the shit hits the fan. into a car, I never hotwired a car, kid. I never broke into a trunk. I shall not cause harm to any vehicle, nor the personal contents thereof, nor through inaction let that vehicle or the personal contents thereof come to harm. It's what I call the repo code, kid. Don't forget it. Etch it in your brain. Not many people got a code to live by anymore. Hey, look, look at that. Look at those assholes over there. Ordinary fucking people. I hate them. Me too. What do you know? See, an ordinary person spends his life avoiding tense situations. Repo man spends his life getting into tense situations. Assholes. Let's go get a drink. Thank you. 
I'm gone. 
I've been meaning to ask you something. Yes. Is our mother, is she crazy? Is she nuts? Huh? Uh, she's okay. I mean, uh, what, what makes you ask a question like that? Well, she just picked up and left, man. Yeah, well, rest of James, mm -hmm. every now and then, a person comes along and has a different view of the world and does the usual person. Doesn't make him crazy. I mean, an acute perception, I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't make you crazy. Could, could you talk more? But, however, sometimes it can drive you crazy, an acute perception. I wish we'd talk normal, because I don't, I don't understand half the garbage you're saying. And, you know, you know what I mean? No. Your mother was not crazy. And neither contrary to popular belief is your brother crazy. He's merely miscast to play. He was born in the wrong era. On the wrong side of the river. <sighs> With the ability to be able to do anything that he wants to do and uh, find nothing that he wants to do. I mean nothing, okay? You don't understand me anymore, do you? It's for sure, for sure and actual. That's the difference. You never lost your mother. I lost your mother. I think, I think that <clears throat> I'm gonna be a lot like him when I, when I get older. You should pray to God, man.
So the next time we get together, maybe, uh, depending on how things go in this world, I guess, and if Trump flu sort of like goes away or magically like he says it's going to, or we can just get back together uh, and be safe about it, whatever, we might just do that cover episode and then maybe by the time we're done with that, we can get the girls in. And, uh, and they can do their do that thing. Yeah, do their thing. I'm, the sisters can do their thing. Yeah, we got to give some love to the sisters, man. Oh, abso- absolutely we do. Yeah, and I know that they're all chomping at the bit to get in there and do it too. So it'll be, hopefully, yeah, we'll do our covers thing next and then hopefully by that time, Mother Nature will have kind of like a self-cleaning oven, maybe we'll be able to get back out there again. And as always, to our many dozens of listeners, I'd like to thank you for like hanging out with us. We hope you had a good time. As always, we'll post this on our Facebook page. You know, of course, we want your input too. Let us know what soundtracks you love, what soundtracks changed your life, what soundtracks tweaked your brain. We want to hear all that stuff. Right, and we want to hear what makes you tick, man. Because there's so many, I mean, this is such an expansive idea. Like, what's the best soundtrack? God, there's got to be. Oh my God. Yeah, and I, I'm limited. I'm, to what I had on vinyl too. I mean, I, there's so many soundtracks that I love that are not even available on vinyl that I bought in the CD age right. that were so crucial to me. In a sense, I kind of like being limited to vinyl because if I was limited to all soundtracks, my head would probably explode if I had to pick five from everything. <laughs> I second that. You know, so I, sometimes the limitations are kind of a good thing for me. Yeah, it's cool that we got this little crazy obsession that we're trying to make use of this vinyl obsession. It helps us whittle down our top fill in the blank to our top tens or our top twenty or a top 50s, it kind of helps get it down to a manageable number because we're dealing with this archaic medium. <laughs> exactly, because this is the shit that I lose sleep over. Yeah. Making these lists of five, you know. Yeah. Oh no, I gotta take that one, I put that one, I gotta take that one out, I gotta put that one back in. Yeah. It's like, yeah. So hey, limiting it to what I have on vinyl was a, kind of a godsend for me. Yeah, I mean, global pandemic, whatever, not really losing sleep over it. My top five soundtracks, dude, hello. <laughs> I've, sto- I've not stopped thinking about Where's it since we brought Indian? it up like two months ago. <laughs> I know. And I'm still like I, I like as soon as we talked about doing the, the our favorite cover tunes, I was just like, oh yeah, well I've been thinking about that nonstop. So <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Jay, it was great to hear your voice. Uh, we'll be back uh, hopefully in about a month with more Lightning Links Radio. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah, thank you again, guys. Thank you. Good night. Good day. Watch out for deer. <laughs> Bring it in there. Bring, Bring it in. I did. It's there. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Sonic contributions to Episode 7 of Lightning Licks Radio are as follows. Brothers Johnson, Lee Moses, Rose Royce, Pete Jolly, Brian Eno, Bernard Herman, John Lennon, The Grateful Dead, Iggy Pop, Alice Bagban, Fear, Black Flag, X, Suicidal Tendencies, Norman Whitfield, The Temptations, Beastie Boys, Dust Brothers, Stuart Copeland, The Police, Stan Ridgway, Walla Voodoo, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Matt DeHoss, Andy Reid, Talking Heads, Replica, Gary Newman, Tim Curry, The Cure, Ecstasy, The Ruts, Isaac Hayes, Bobby Womack, James Brown and the JBs, Fred Wesley, Trevor Edmonds, Derouche Kikabali, Beirut, Kiosk, Federal, Farah, Radio Tehran, Mark Dorsey, Jay Dilla, The Staple Singers, Rolling Stones, Muddy Waters, Yellow, The Young Holt Trio, DJ Premier, Brooklyn Dodgers, J. Rue the Damager, O.C., Jungle Rock, Seals and Croft, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles, Mark Mothersbrough, Common, Cody Marsek as Yard Waste, The Kinks, Abraham Jefferson, The Creation, Cat Stevens, Harvey Keitel, Michael Imperoli, 
John Torres, Robin Johnson, Trina Alvarado, Matt Dillon, Vincent Spano, Herbie Hancock, Sheila Spencer, Dennis Whedon, The Clappers, and holy frickin' crap, that's a lot. See you next month, next month, next month. Next month is in the mix. The cross faded with these dusty fingertips. We learn from digging in the bins at electric hitch. We are living the hits. We got funk and soul and so much more. We got the hip hop, rip pop, new and old. We got the free jazz, punk rock, disco, gold. Garage side dub and acoustic funk. Your requests like, nah man, I think I left that LP at home It's on the shelf in my basement, that's where it belongs Sorry y'all Now don't get me wrong, I really do appreciate your input But I don't really need your stinking input Nah B, I'm just playing, just trying to play too The rule is what I'm saying Why waste your time on a top 40 hit list When you can prep platters like a catering business So fresh I'm high five on my deck Maybe we collaborate and jump it, that's teamwork baby you are an obese I treat with the guts so deep to make your ear holes bleed. Dusty groups and forgotten gems, sample sources from way back when. You're like, hmm, that sounds familiar. Well, it's Osley Bros. That Vicky Cuba dinner, but it's still ill and it still kills. It's a bona fide hope for that for a last Lightning Lexus in the mix. Blue cross fading with these dusty fingertips. We go from digging in the bins at electric. We are nothing the hits for the pie.